Welcome, this is Coppercasts, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon, and our guest today is Julian Sawyer, CEO at Bitstamp, the oldest crypto exchange in the space. Julian was tapped up for the job at Bitstamp in 2020, and before that, he led the crypto exchange Gemini's UK operations. And prior to jumping into crypto, Julian had a long-standing career in traditional finance. He also notably co-founded Starling Bank, one of the UK's greatest startup success stories. Welcome, Julian. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So I guess um, I want to hear your crypto origin story. So what tempted you from, yeah, I guess, the safety and comfort of traditional finance, if that exists, yeah. into the scary world of crypto? Well, I think it's really two, two things. One is if you look at what we were doing at Starling in the early days, so that's 2015, starting a bank, why, for a product, a current account, which everybody has got, you know, it's like crazy. But actually, it's about a technology project. It's about how to change people's use of financial services with technology. And if you look at what crypto is, it's exactly the same. So we're in the same uh, uh, position in terms of uh, using that technology for for financial services. In terms of my first use, I am uh, apologetically a late entrant in it. Um, and I think it was probably 2018 I started to, to, to buy a bit. Um, probably should have bought a bit earlier and hold a lot longer. But uh, I've been playing ever since. Fair enough. It sounds a lot like, I mean, disruption was interesting to you. And I hate the word disruption. It's more about change or improvement really right like is that step change that is making a step change where you just go um there are there are better ways of doing this there are ways that we can as an industry as a financial services do things better and i think this is where it becomes really interesting in terms of where do we see crypto we see crypto as part of the financial services world um how big that's going to be we are super ambitious um, but we're going to live in a world with various other things. And the key thing is with, with crypto is where is it going to solve problems? Mm-hmm. And whether that's as an investable asset like a, a Bitcoin or something which helps payments as a stable coin or a, other use cases. And that becomes super interesting when we can use that. I, I guess um, one of the interesting pieces is when we stop talking about crypto and just talk about people's problems uh, and things like that. So actually the underlying technology should be irrelevant to the average consumer. It is about we're doing something bif- different within the environment. And that growth that you just sort of like alluded to. So I guess back in 2016, I think you guys became one of the first exchanges to be regulated in Europe. Um, is Europe still your largest market or do you see more of your growth now because you're so established here? Is, is the growth now in North America? Is it APAC? What's the like the breakdown look like? Yeah, we were so we were founded in Slovenia. We are regulated in Luxembourg. Um, we are the oldest exchange in the world, the first in Europe to be regulated. So Europe, without a doubt, is our heartland. Something in the region of about 65 percent of our um, assets and 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 customers are European based. Um, over the last two three years, we've really been investing in the US market and getting all the. Um, licenses, growing the team, the capabilities, etc. So we're seeing that as the next uh, growth area, investing hugely in that. And our team is going to double and tri- triple over the next the next uh, c- couple of quarters in that in that region. But also, then we are applying for an MAS li- li- license, um, and therefore that introduces Singapore. And so what we're essentially doing is looking at where our heartland is, looking at where the next market growth is, and then and then incubating the one after that. Um, and I think you've got to look at regulation is absolutely key to provide 
that consistency, that level playing field. And I think we're seeing regulators rapidly engaging and understanding what this is and what this means, and therefore um, how to create that level playing field and that level of trust, which I think is, is critical for the mass ad adoption. I get the sense that because we're in this space that rapidly changes and to some extent the regulators are playing a little bit of catch up, getting, getting involved in various jurisdictions, you know, what kind of role is there for organizations like ours I mean, and yours like an exchange or infrastructure provider to sort of help guide lawmakers or regulators about the way they view the industry, the way we view the industry, the way the users view the industry? Like, wh yeah. Where do we fit into that conversation for them? Um, or if I can be slightly con controversial, I kind of feel sorry for regulators. <laughs> These are words you don't often hear. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a hugely, hugely technically complex world that we are working in. And we live and breathe this every, every single day. They've got a whole lot of other things to think about. Um, and they're trying to get up to speed. Um, they're trying to keep ahead of the market. You know, crypto is moving so fast, it's even hard for us within the industry to know how all these bits work together. And that is really, really challenging. So I think we should and we continue to have active, positive dialogue with them. Sometimes it's about explaining why we do something uh, or it is explaining why we don't do something. And I think that is that is important. So I don't see it as a them and us, which I think some people do, and I think that is wrong. It's about we see that regulation is a force for good if applied correctly. And I think one of the things that is um, probably disappointing uh, in, in Europe at the moment is that the the VASPs, the um, Virtual Asset Service Provider regulations, is being applied at a country-by-country country basis. And so we have to go into that country. We have to understand what their regulations are. They all are there for the same reason, which is the Five Money Laundering Directive, which we absolutely understand and support. But what it is meaning is that we're having to determine exactly what that country wants, how to put the application in. Is it in local languages? Is it in English? Do we need uh, presence within the country? What that is that presence? What is that substance? substance? And that becomes a, a cost and a burden. And that's fine for the bigger markets, but those smaller markets are not going to get that level of investment, etc. So we're super proud um, or super keen on Mika, which is coming in 2023, 20, 24, whenever, which is a European-wide. And that will transform that. And it's going to be interesting with what um, President Biden has done in, in the States as well with his recent uh, executive order and see where that goes. Because there's a lot of uncertainty about the SEC and, and, and some of the challenges in the US. There's a lot of uncertainty around you know, what's happening with the FCA, what's happening within the European Union, etc. And the more that we can provide that and as an industry. But I do think um, Bitstamp, Copper, etc. have a role to play to educate and inform about what this means. I guess one of the other challenges the regulators face is obviously they're trying to stand up a, a crypto team internally. You know, upskill and up educate them. They do that for nine months or a year, and then, you know, firms come along and siphon off those people to come work internally in the space or whatever. So maybe we need like a, a moratorium, an unofficial, you know, crypto company moratorium on hiring yes. out of regulators yeah, yeah. so yeah. that they can get up to speed or whatever. Yes. And as you mentioned, the U like that sort of fragmented, individualized on a state level problem in Europe previously or APAC wherever else. I mean, the U.S. must be like a microcosm of that in and of itself. Like every state has, has their own 
kind of issues, right? So I mean, you, you have the SEC and the CFTC at a, mm -hmm. at a national level, but then you, know, you probably still need payment licenses and e-money licenses at, at all the you, state levels. You do. You have the money tr transmission, right. um, and so so the MTLs, and that's across, and there are different re requirements. Um, I think we've got all the states bar two at the moment. Ah. Um, so you know, but that does take a lot of time and a, a, a lot of effort. There is a direction of travel. We've got a bit license in New York, and so New York is probably the more dominant uh, regulator across. And so a lot of other states look towards New York and says, well, if they've done this for New York, then we're in a, in a better, better place. But it does just provide an overhead. Um, and I think this goes, this is, I think this goes back to how do you regulate a global 24 seven product when you are a, just a national regulator? Um, and that becomes really, really challenging. And I think what we are, um, you know, challenged and disappointed in is that you know there are players who can be outside of the rem out of the jurisdiction and the remit, offering the same product clearly at a lower cost base because they don't do the AML and KYC, and therefore are being far more flexible in the market and not being penalised. We think this is a maturity thing. We think this is where the markets will become more mature. And therefore, it will become. Um, is it a time limited problem? Because as the markets become more mature, the real—I shouldn't say real money—but like when the bigger flows come in, yep. it'll be to those permissioned, regulated environments. So the people who operate on the margins now will have less flow and ultimately become less appealing. I think so, but but the question is how how do you know that? So it, it, if if you look at the example, Crypto Compare, which is a data um, provision c company, ranks exchanges. And Bitstamp is a double A rate exchange, one of the top five exchanges in the world. Brilliant. Okay. Why are the other actors who are not a double A getting so much flow for the same effective product in the same market? Okay. So we've got to look at how do we educate consumers and corporates and, in, and financial institutions to go, remember, you go for double A. And I think the, the challenge we've got is that. You know, in the UK, in Europe, in the United States, a bank is a bank is a bank. Okay, they've got the deposit scheme there. Your money's protected, and you know what a bank is. And we haven't got that infrastructure. We haven't got that level of communication consistency for doing that. Let me give you an, another example. Um, our technology and our, our software engineers do an amazing job, and we have the best, if not one of the best uptimes in the industry. And so when the price is highly volatile, we're up, other exchanges, including some very big ones, are down. Okay, What we don't see is lots of people coming straight to us, which is really interesting. So we have a level of investment that is higher than others because we think it's super important that when the price is moving up or down, you get the price you want and you sell at that time. Um, and yet what we're finding is we're not getting that level of, of, of communication. And I think this is a maturity in the market. I think it's about having um, market insight or market information companies that are providing some of this in an independent way. Um, and also the regulators, uh, probably more with the small, are playing a role to understand what, what they do. So it's, it's a hugely complex area. I think it is time-based. 
I hope it's short time, but it is time-based, I think. And, and you spoke during um, your show and tell segment um, about a specific sort of segment of user growth. Like the, the profile of who uses Bitstamp has changed, as you, know, you, you might imagine. Do you, do you think who those people are, and I think we should revisit that now, you can say that piece again for us. Um, who those people are changing into now, they might be a more discerning consumer mm -hmm. and they m will obviously be more willing to look for a double A exchange. Yep, yep. So just to provide some some context, I think, you know, if you look at our, you know, a, a hypothesis of what a traditional crypt crypto user is, it is probably male, urban, computer game player, 25, etc. probably above average income, that type of uh, person. We're not seeing that now. We're seeing a whole range of different different demographics, both on age and on gender. Um, and so we've, uh, you know, a, a year ago, the number of females were about 8% is now 18% and growing, but also the amount that they invest per transaction has more than doubled. So we're seeing a different type of engagement. We're seeing conversations, perhaps when you're out with your friends outside of the industry, talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum that they wouldn't have a year ago, or if they did, they probably would just taken the mickey out of you working in some industry that they don't understand. It's now part of the conversation. And so I think what this is, is moving from those innovators and early adopters into that mass market. And we think there's an, there's an opportunity where there's a number of people from research that we've seen that are, have the fear of missing out. Everyone's talking about Bitcoin, so why haven't I got it? And actually, when you look at how many people are using or have purchased Bitcoin, you know, it's a few hundred million out of seven billion. So you haven't missed out, you just need to get onto, onto this. Uh, so I think what we're seeing is a different set of demographics, a different set of people who are engaged, who are curious, uh, and therefore that is really important. But I think it's moved from that early adopter into that mass market. And, and one of the other user profiles you spoke about before was um, like the entry of more corporates mm. or sort of like the institutional crowd. Yep. So this, the factors that influence that, that retail mass adoption that's growing, do you think it's the same factors almost identical for the corporates and the institutionals as well? I mean, they won't say it's FOMO, obviously, because they have research analysts that get paid a lot to, to say other things. But ultimately... Is that are they looking at the market and saying I need to get in this? I think there's. Um, I would be surprised if any competent finance director in any company has not looked in the last twelve months at crypto and gone, "What should we do?" And yes, a whole range of them have said, "Nope, not interested." Okay, but there's a whole another range who said, "Actually, can consumers, can our customers pay?" with crypto? Can I pay my suppliers from crypto? Does this help us with cross-border payments, supply chain finance? Does it solve problems? Is that what we want to get uh, our uh, level of engagement? And then, of course, corporates will go, I now have some crypto. <laughs> what do I do with it? Do I just instantly come to Bitstamp and sell it? Or do I hold it and have that as part of the investment strategies? And you see things like what Tesla are doing, uh, micro strategies, et cetera, which are obviously incredibly vocal in what they are doing in this space. But I think the other piece is that is important is that this is about the conversations that are, are, are having. And while we may not want to buy our Tesla cars on Bitcoin, or we may not want to go to McDonald's and buy a Big, a Big Mac with Bitcoin, it's having those conversations. It's about being in there and, and, and being relevant to the place. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of 
this is a lot of this is about finding the right use cases. So I mentioned supply chain finance, huge problems. If we can do that with you know, smart contracts, if we can do that with flow of funds and really help that, if we talk about remittance payments and moving money from one country to, to another, and particularly with everything that is going on in the Ukraine right now, that is absolutely front and center uh, and will be for a long, long time, unfortunately. So what we've, what I think we've got is where we can help as an industry and change things and make it so much more efficient for, for people and for, for corporates. So I guess one of the challenges that um, corporates face or even companies setting up in this industry, and I'm, I'm really keen to get your opinion on this because you come from banking and you've done the neobank as well. So one of the biggest challenges is access to banking, mm-hmm. even for crypto companies. Yep. I mean, Copper was founded or five years ago, and trying to open a high street bank account for payroll purposes was almost impossible. Yep. And do you get the sense that we've really moved on a lot since then? And is that going to be, is that going to continue to be a really big challenge as, as like an on or off ramp? I think, um, I think it is going to continue to be a challenge for some time. You know, and, and, and let's understand this, that, you know, you'll approach a bank, you'll be talking to them, you'll be talking to the relationship manager, they fill the form in, it goes up to that ivory tower of which it sits in a, in a darkened room and the risk committee, whoever is on that risk committee, yeah. says no. And you don't have a way of having a dialogue. Yeah. Okay. And for people like Copper, who is in the industry, but, you know, is a substantial infrastructure business, you're not really in the crypt, you're not really doing that crypto piece, you're just in the industry doing crypto. That is wrong, that's a lack of understanding. And I think the banks that are being gonna be successful are the ones that go, let's understand this, let's understand what we mean by crypto. Are we an infrastructure provider in that industry? Are we, are we trading in this? Is that high risk? Um, and I think also this is about ensuring that, you know, the chief risk officers in these banks, the compliance officers in the bank, actually understand what crypto is. So we have an obligation, I think, to talk in their language about what does this mean. Um, And I talk a lot about AML and KYC, and I keep talking about bank grade. Our AML and KYC is at the same level as a bank. So let's now talk about what is the products. Let's talk about what we're doing, not talking about I, have you got an AML policy? You know, you absolutely do. Are we compliant with with all sanctions? Absolutely. We are absolutely measured and uh, and are you know uh, regulated at that level. So I think this is an education. And unfortunately, for some organisations, for some banks, it's easier to say no than it is to say yes. However, there's some amazing banks, and we've got a lot of partners, and I know you have, that are in this space and going. This is this is the future. How do we learn? How do we engage in this in this space? Because I guess taking it one step further as well, like looking at the the AML stuff specifically, like on the fiat side is always going to be the fiat side, but on the digital asset side, I mean, we're in a fortunate position where we can say, you know, on chain analytics and the provenance of these tokens is indisputable, mm-hmm. and it's it's far superior to anything the banks have been used to. Yes, but I guess it's a little bit hard for for them to stomach that conversation when we come in and say, your AML is not good enough. Look how we do it. Yes, yeah. And I think there's uh, uh, journalists who can have a, a lazy answer, which is Bitcoin is, you know, X, Y, Z, and it's the wrong 
the wrong answer. It's like a stale um, narrative, though, by yes. now, surely. Yeah. surely. Can I just make an apology there? I said yeah. X, Y, Z. I'm British. I should say X, Y, Z. I do apologize. I've, so been, I've been with Americans all day today, so please will you just take that you, out? You said you're expanding in America, so this is appealing <laughs> yeah, just, to a new audience. I was just trying to go naked. <laughs> How embarrassing is that? <laughs> Your family will never speak to you again. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, so looking at you know regulatory landscapes, mm -hmm. are there ones that you see doing a really really good job i think like you know most of the people we talk to highlight switzerland um you know singapore's taking a very close look at everything there's a few other countries in europe germany um and then certain states in the u.s i guess new york wyoming texas probably mm -hmm. but do you get a sense that there's going to be one that sets the stage for everyone that we ultimately adopt their framework like are there any outliers at the moment that are so far ahead for you I don't know um, there is one that would go, oh, that's brilliant. If only we yeah. had that in every jurisdiction. I think there's pros and cons. And yeah. I think there is a, it, it is about having the right amount of rigor and about the right structure. Um, but it's also ensuring that we've got the commercial flexibility that is required. Um, and the level of understanding to make decisions and DeFi and things like that is a good example of where things are happening outside of their remit and where are they coming into uh, into that. So I think there's pros and cons. I think, you know, if you look at, um, if we just take a European lens for a minute, if we look at the VASPs and how Europe uh, have implemented, as, as I mentioned earlier, all different. There's some great things in some countries, and then that same country's got some things which are like, oh, that's not particularly useful, or do you really understand the unintended consequence of doing that? Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, it is about probably a little bit of a misnomer that at the moment the VASPs around the Fifth Money Laundering Directive, they're not about regulating crypto. Yeah. So again, you've got um, almost the wrong regulation doing trying to tie trying to solve something and that's exactly what's happening in the us which is the sec and, and and various other bodies who don't have a direct remit are trying to understand whether they have an obligation to go into a space that they may or may not have that right to um and just for the clarity i'm not an expert in on on, on, on us regulation but you know i think there hasn't yet come a perfect model that you just go, that is brilliant, if only that was across the market. So one of the other, I think that just kind of reminded me of something else I was going to ask you, like the staying abreast of every development and staying on top of every sort of like technological innovation that has an impact on either your users or your business or your use case or your mm -hmm. regulatory mm -hmm. framework, you know, the laws that are changing, the places you... How do you stay on top of everything? Like, do you have some tips for people? Like, <laughs> like, how do you how do you keep in the know on this stuff? It's it is um, it's a real challenge for organisations to ensure that they understand what is happening. And uh, we were having a, a conversation at the board a few uh, a few weeks ago, which is you know a year ago we probably had three regulators. By the end of twenty twenty two, we will probably have twenty. Huh. Because the European VASPs, what's happening, you know, applying into Canada and Singapore and BVI and wherever else, it's like that becomes a whole different range of management that is required. Uh, engagement uh, at a senior level to understand what is happening, what their thinking is, where the risks are within that market. 
So I guess, I mean, part of, you must have to build a, a team around you as yeah. well, right? Yeah. So, you know, we have a compliance team, which is operating from a, you know, we have a, a three line, lines of defense model, which is uh, how yep. banks are operating. Yep. So we have first line uh, compliance, which is a global function. Then we have regional by the regulated entity. And then we have a regulatory compliance function, which is sitting above that to make sure that we have that, that, that view. Um, and as a global company, we have customers I think in every single country in the world, uh, apart from those that are sanctioned, which means that it might not be one of our core markets that suddenly say, ah, and now we want to to regulate. So that also reminded me that you guys have, um, you're sort of well known for having a very almost, uh, I guess, highly selective process for adding assets to the exchange, right? Yes. And of, of other exchanges of your size and prominence and history, they might have thousand tokens on there mm -hmm. and you spoke earlier you know you've, over the last 12 months you maybe gone from 10 assets to 60 assets mm -hmm. yep. so can you talk to us a little bit about why that process is important so we are so we have an obligation to consumers to our customers um, and if we put an asset up there that is hasn't got the right structure um, has got the right technology. We don't understand the ownership of. We don't understand who is is driving the uh, the governance around that. We don't understand the liquidity. So you could come in, get a price from us, and then tomorrow it could just disappear. Okay. I think we have a moral obligation to ensure that we are listing those that we have looked at. We understand that we have. Uh, some degree of comfort around a whole range of things. That's not saying we're underwriting these assets mm -hmm. because we are just an exchange, but we don't list everything. And I was talking to someone the other day about the London Stock Exchange, and they went, well, they don't do that. And I went, yes, they do. They will look at your accounts. They will make sure that you're stable. You're not insolvent, that you've got money. You've There's a whole range of things, uh, and they will then allow you to go onto that exchange. And the rules are slightly lighter for the AIM exchange rather than the main exchange. And, that, and as an investor, you understand that. Um, so this is not a flight for quantity, as I mentioned earlier. This is about quality. And quite frankly, probably most, most people won't remember the top 50 assets that we list anyway. Um, and therefore, having 200 or 300 is almost irrelevant. We are increasing, we will increase, but then the number of assets are increasing exponentially anyway at the moment. So this is about finding the right ones. We share that our, our digital asset um, uh, framework with our regulators so they understand what our level of thinking is to ensure that they are comfortable with our decision process about which ones we list and why we do. Do you think looking at that, when you're, when you're trying to evaluate, I guess, the ecosystem of some of these, these tokens or whatever, I mean, their governance and everything like that, but there are certain people in our industry or on the periphery of industry, car manufacturers, celebrity type people, maybe. Do you think them or other famous corporates who invest in tokens have still an undue influence on the market? Or like, is it a maturity thing? Is it they should just be told to step aside for a little while? Like, how do we approach the celebrity or the popularity that they give to the space mm -hmm. without the downsides? So I think, you know, so I think it is a maturity. It's also about a size and scale thing. So, you know, if we look at traditional finance, there are several people 
Warren Buffett being a good example. And he says something, and the Coca-Cola or the Apple price shoots up or drops down if he yeah. buys or sells. Okay. But that is a big enough business and a big enough market to A, understand what he's doing, and then other people have other opinions. Where it becomes very dangerous is um, if you have a, uh, a penny stock, as they, as they used to be called. You have a penny stock that's worth a, a, a 2p. We can double your money when it goes to 4p. Yeah, but how are you going to do that? Is that because someone is going to tweet? If that someone is in the know or not in the know, do you trust them? And therefore, you don't have that within the normal stock exchange. You have controls because otherwise you, you do get market mani manipulation. And I think this is a maturity thing. It's also a size and scale thing. Um, I don't think it does the industry any any good to have the odd billionaire tweeting things. Okay. Um, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time because this has been a very fascinating conversation. But I have a couple more questions Go if you don't it. mind. Cool. So um, this one might be an easy one, but what's the next big thing on the agenda at Bitstamp? So the big thing for us at the moment is uh, Bitstamp as a service. And this is where we have a white labeled service provision to fintechs. So you're a fintech, you're a uh, distribution, you've got your app or your, your, your website, you're doing whatever you're doing, whether it's in, in payments or pensions or banking or whatever, and your customers are wanting crypto. And you can now integrate with us. You can then get price discovery you can make your trade we will do custody with copper <laughs> we can do everything on an end-to-end -end basis as a set of apis that enables them to go to market it's a revenue stream but it's also a customer retention because consumers are saying i may want to buy some stocks i may go to robin hood but i need crypto okay right so where do i go and do do that and i think that becomes a much wider proposition it also moves it away from oh there's crypto over there and there's banking over there. It's part of that ecosystem that that we want to do. So we're seeing a lot of traction. We've actually been doing this, it's quite embarrassing actually. We've been doing this for a lot of years. We've just never packaged it up and right. taken it to market as a set of, this is this is what it is, this is what it's called, these are the APIs, this is the, how it's documented, software as a service, go do. So we're super excited that and have some uh, amazing clients in the pipeline, which hopefully we will announce very soon. Very good. Okay, I've got a list of 10 very short questions. Is this quick fire then? It, it can be quick fire. Sometimes they stump people and we have to edit into a quick fire. But uh, okay. here we go. I We're, wasn't prepped for this one. No, we, we specifically don't prep people <laughs> okay, for this. Okay, thanks for that. Because we want the honest truth. <laughs> um, okay, so where do you see the crypto industry in one year versus 10 years? That one's easy. Um, absolutely mainstream in 10 years. In one, in, in one year, I think, being part of every conversation in financial services. If you could change one thing about the industry, what would it be? Be less technical and more customer focused. Is there a piece of technology in your personal life that you couldn't live without? Uh, any, any, anything from Apple. What does that your- That sounds so bad, doesn't no, it? No, no, no. <laughs> there's a lot of <laughs> Apple files watch, here. iPad, Mac. <laughs> there's at least five Macs on this table yeah. already, so <laughs> don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, someone's uh, a dishwasher. Someone's dishwasher. Someone's <laughs> dishwasher. <laughs> wasn't an Apple dishwasher though. Oh. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. yeah. What does your weekend look like if you get time off? Uh, weekend will be uh, hopefully a bit of walking. Uh, and I've got some painting to do, which I'm not looking forward to. In, as in you're an artist or walls? No, walls. Okay. <laughs> and so if anybody wants to come and help, they're very welcome. Okay. <laughs> um, are there any movies you can watch over and over again and never get tired of? Uh, James Bond. Do you have any catchphrases that you live by or mottos? 
Uh, oh, God. Uh, too many. Too many. Um, uh, I think there's a... I, I almost said, said, said one earlier, actually, when we're talking about re regulation, there's a fine line between rigor and rigor mortis. And I do like that one. It's but good. I didn't invent it. Someone else told me that years ago. Fair enough. Who should we all follow on Twitter? Me. Shout out to your handle. What's your handle? <laughs> uh, Julian underscore Sawyer. And I'm not very active, so we <laughs> so could probably just cut that one. Until this podcast comes out, <laughs> and then you'll be pushing <laughs> that out. And then, yeah. There we go. Okay. Um, what was the last thing that surprised you? Uh, walking in here, uh, not realizing I was going to do a video and a podcast. Surprise. Uh, I've only been paid to do the podcast. so uh, <laughs> We'll take you out after. Be fine. <laughs> um, who would you recommend as the next guest on our show? Oh, wow. Um, I think what is really interesting is taking this into more of the traditional finance and understanding their interest, appetite, and where they think crypto is going to impact their business whether that's in retail banking or in payments or in an in, in institution. Because what we're seeing is, again, a lot of these institutions are starting to think about what it is and what that means. Yeah, that's a good show. Because I guess also we run the risk of becoming a bit of an echo chamber if we just talk to crypto people all the time. Yeah. So. State Street, are you listening? Cool. Um, if you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, but you only got to ask him one question, mm -hmm. what do you want to know? What's his private key yeah <laughs> well, as everyone said that no, no, no people like i don't even want to meet him but whatever <laughs> cool julian thank you very much for coming in no, appreciate, appreciate the time it's been fun. Thank i've you enjoyed so much. it appreciate cheers it. thank you to our listeners if you haven't already seen julian's show and tell video please go to our youtube page or you can find it on twitter at copper hq or you can find it on the website copper.co forward slash insights there you can also sign up for our newsletter which includes links to all the week's top stories as well as any updates from the wider team at copper and now we've introduced a research newsletter as well if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review on whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. And of course, this show could not be made possible without the technical and creative wizardry of Tally Spear, support from Melee Mountfort and Eva Lila. New episodes will be coming out fortnightly. And in the meantime, stay safe.